0: If your Bibles are open to Luke chapter number 11, recently we had a special day uh, at our academy. We called it Glow in the Dark Day. We have a spirit day once a month. And uh, on that particular day, it, it was exactly what you think it was. Uh, they, our staff guys uh, put black tarps over all of these windows and closed the, the, covered the windows up in there. And the truth is, when the lights were out, it was literally pitch black here uh, in the middle of the day. And uh, so our kids came, and they had clothing that had glow-in-the-dark paint on it. Uh, they had glow sticks and all kinds of things. Uh, Brother Tim uh, had, had purchased these glasses. They, they, everybody got them, including the staff, the parents, and so forth. That You push a button, and it lit up up here. It flashed and all kinds of things. Uh, everybody got more glow sticks. Uh, they gave out these, these white things. I don't know what you call them, but uh, they, they had lights inside it, and you just you know, flick the switch and it came on and, uh, you know, everybody had those kind of things and it was really a lot of fun. I don't know if you saw any of the pictures on Facebook. Uh, My trainer, Sam, saw them. Uh, Tim posted them on Instagram and Sam's been in this room and he was absolutely excited, uh, you know, that uh, we did that. And uh, on the spirit days for chapel, uh, Brother Tim has asked that I would be the speaker for that and so I'm trying to think what in the world's appropriate Uh, To do for that. Uh, So I preach from Matthew chapter 5, and um, I'm just going to have you turn there with me because I want you to see uh, that this is a a repetitive message of the Savior. Matthew 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. We've been studying that on Sunday mornings. Lord willing, we'll be back to that this coming Sunday. In verse 14, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is talking to his followers, said, "'Ye are the light of the world.'" A city that is set on an hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And that was the text verse uh, for that particular day. And and I had a flashlight with me, and uh, you know, candles and some things like that uh, for the course. Uh, of that particular message. Um, and uh, it's, it's an amazing truth that the Lord has given to us. Um, I, I like it when God puts things in stereo. For the last month or so, I've been studying through the Gospel of Luke. And uh, I've actually been in Luke chapter 11 for almost uh, half of that time, about two weeks now. I preached last Sunday night from Luke 11 on the power of importunity. Uh, But as I continue my study there, I came to what we read with Brother Carson tonight in verse 33. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. This is not Luke giving the same account that Matthew did. In Matthew with the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was in the northern part of the land of Israel preaching on the shores of the Sea of Galilee near the city of Capernaum. In Luke chapter 11, the Savior is actually further south, way way down south near the city of Jerusalem. Uh, He has been in Bethany and he is in that neighborhood. Um, And so he is preaching in a different place and in a different time to a different group of people. Now his core disciples were with him and so they are hearing this message again. Uh, We are assuming maybe some of the ones who heard him in Matthew 5 uh, in the Sermon on the Mount are still traveling with him, though most likely this is a whole different group of people that are following him, and the Savior once again points them back to the truth of the light of the world and about being a light for Christ. Um, on the day that I preached this in chapel, all everything was darkened, and I actually considered doing that again tonight. Of course, I didn't have to do anything with the windows because we don't have daylight savings time anymore. It's dark outside, and well, I thought about... You know, covering these up, closing the doors back there. But I have way too much scripture that I want us to go to tonight. And and, uh, and not only that, our folks that are watching home on live stream, uh, it'd be weird just to see this candle floating around and hear a voice and not see much of that, anything else. So uh, it is not the illustration that we're going to use tonight that is the important part of the message. It is the word of God. Uh, I'm going to ask you if you would follow with me Uh, Please have your Bibles ready as as we go on this. The Bible says, again, in verse 33, No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. Ye are the light of the world. That's what the Savior said. We're going to talk tonight, the, the, the title of the message is The Candle. The title of the message is The Candle. You are supposed to be everything that the Savior's talking about in this verse. The question is, are we? Are we that kind of light in this world? I want you to notice some things that the Savior stated, and it's all going to come from verse 33 tonight, uh, about the importance of the candle. And we're going to, again, look at an awful lot of Scripture. Number one, the first thing he says is the candle has to be lit. No man, when he hath lighted a candle. Uh, I'll just go ahead and bring some of my stuff out here. I have a candle. Believe it or not, it's a prayer candle. When I was looking for them, I couldn't find any taper candles. They were all sold out. So uh, I guess prayer's a good thing uh, and so forth. Uh, this candle, it's got wax. Uh, it's got a wick on the inside. Uh, so it is a candle, yes or no? Yes, it is. Is it giving off any light? Yes or no? No. Even if we shut the lights out in here, uh, there's no light coming out of it. In order for this candle to be of any value whatsoever, the candle must be lit. Now, you may or may not be able to see much because, again, the lights are on here. But now that the candle's lit, if we shut the lights out, uh, would it have any value? Yes, because it's now been lit. What is the light? John chapter 1 in your Bibles. Keep your place in Luke. John chapter 1. Appreciate people having their Bibles in church. Moms and dads, please make sure your kids bring their Bibles. It's a sad thing to watch young people sit in church never opening a Bible whatsoever and I I appreciate looking around and seeing Bibles being uh, opened John chapter 1 the Bible says in verse 1 in the beginning was the Word capital W it's a title and the Word was with God and the Word was God it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ the same was in the beginning with God all things were made by Him and without Him was not anything made that was made In him was life, and the life was the what? Light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So John, when he begins this letter, is telling us uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ is light. Okay, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And verse number 12, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And, and he is actually talking about the same thing John did in chapter one and, and so forth. Jesus Christ is the light of the world, John chapter 12. And I realize at this point, I'm not telling you anything you don't know but it is important for us to know it. John chapter 12 and verse 46. Jesus said, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. So again, the Savior is talking about this idea of of himself being the light of the world. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And uh, once you find that, go back to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. The apostle says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Again, there is that message, God is light, in Him is no darkness at all. In order for the candle to have any value, and we're talking on a spiritual level, uh, we know physically the candle has to be lit. In order for you to have that ability to be the light of the world, the Savior said in Matthew 5, ye are the light of the world, you have to have the light of Jesus Christ in your life. In other words, you have to be saved. You can go to church and you can know all the words. You can know when to stand, when to sit. You can win uh, all the Bible drill contests. You can memorize the verses. You can learn the Romans road and tell it to other people. But if you have never been born again, you are as lost as anybody on planet earth. And, And you can talk the talk. You can do all of those things. But if you're not saved, you're lost. You cannot be the light of the world unless Jesus Christ lives in your life. It all starts with salvation. I have a terrible fear in my heart that our churches today are filled with people who know all the words, who have all the answers, but they do not have Christ. That's why we, we we feel like we're beating our head against the wall with our with our young people sometimes because they, they've grown up in this. It's all they've ever known and they're just going along with what is expected of them but they've never truly had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. They've never truly come under the conviction of their sin and the realization that without Christ they are lost. They are condemned already. They are already on their way to hell. It's not a matter of... Uh, They will be there. They're on their way to hell. And and I'm afraid that we've got a generation that's grown up that knows all the words, but they don't know Christ. By the way, it's not much different for a lot of adults. I think that's why we pull teeth trying to get people to serve the Lord, get people to read their Bible, get people to pray, get people to do right. Because there's just something missing in their life. And that something is the Lord Jesus Christ. Going back to Luke chapter 11, the very first thing the Savior meant, uh, tells us about this candle is somebody has, ha- has lighted the candle. It's been lit. Uh, and that means salvation has taken place. Now, I realize I'm speaking to a Sunday night crowd. We would assume everybody in this place is saved, but we might be making an error on that one. Uh, One of the most haunting scriptures in the Bible is in Matthew 7, where the Savior said, Many shall there be in that day that will say, Lord, Lord, have we not done many wonderful works in your name? We've prophesied in your name, we've cast out devils, and the Savior's going to say to them, Depart from me, ye cursed, I never knew you. He's not talking about Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims. He's not talking about people that are atheists. He's talking about people who profess that they know the Lord but never got saved. All they have is a list of things they've done and there's never been a relationship with Christ established. He said many there will be in that day that are going to say those words. I think one of the saddest parts of eternity would be If we as a church one day are standing before God and we see people that we went to Sunday school with, Christian school with, youth activities with, sang in the choir with, went to church with, and we see those same people and find out they were never ever saved. The only thing worse than that is to be one of those people that did all of those things, that spent a lifetime in a church like this, heard the word of God, but died without Christ. The candle must be lit. There's a second thing the Savior said, and it's only found here in Luke chapter 11. It's not found in Matthew 5. He says, no man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place. The word secret means in a private place. Nobody lights the candle and then just moves it to where nobody can see it. it. It does no value. If I were to take this candle, which is out. Let me see if I can get some of the wax out of there. And we'll try this one again. And I think it's going to kill my illustration pretty soon. And we're back. Okay? Okay. If I take my candle and put it there, the candle is lit. I can see the flame. It's not real big, but I can see it. If it were dark in here, would it be helping anyone? No. Um, It's in a private place. See, a candle is meant to be put out on public display. Otherwise, what's the point of lighting it? What's the point of even having it? It's that public display. And then and only then does the candle have value. The Savior said, No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place. It's supposed to be visible. It is supposed to be visible. Look, if you would, to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. In Luke 5, there was crowd of people. Jesus is in Capernaum, and he is in the the house of Simon Peter's uh, mother-in-law. And while they are there, a great multitude have shown up to be healed and so forth. In verse 18, behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. We know from the Gospel of Mark there were four of these men brought their friend who was taken with a palsy. They sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and led him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. So the Savior's sitting in in this home. These four men can't get Jesus in through the door, possibly couldn't even get him up the street. Uh, I've been to the, the remnants of Capernaum, and the streets are very, very narrow. Uh, they, they, the houses were built uh, right onto the, the front of the street. They didn't really have front yards and things like that. So you got this massive multitude, and they all want to get into the house to see Jesus. Everybody's got their need and all of that. These guys are carrying a guy in his bed. They, they can't get through uh, and, and so forth. So they just climbed up onto the top of the houses. The houses were all connected at that, uh, that day and age and carried them across. They, they came to the place where the house where Jesus was, and they just dug up the roof. Uh, and just uh, can you imagine being sitting down below and ceiling tiles are crumbling in on top of your head? And can you imagine being the homeowner? Uh, you know, thinking, you know, I'm going to have to call Liberty Mutual and get that emu over here and fix this thing up uh, and, and, and so on and so forth. And it's a, it's a big hole, big enough to put a man uh, in his bed, lower him down and they've got ropes and they're lowering this man down because they know if they can get him to Jesus, Jesus can heal their friend. Look if you would to verse number 20. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Did you notice that phrase? When he saw their faith, it was visible. It was visible. Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, verse 23. This is the story of the church that got started in Antioch. We've covered this on Wednesday night. Uh, In our Bible study, and this would go back a a number of weeks ago, Uh, we'll start at verse 22, then tidings of these things, that's the establishment of this great church at Antioch, came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. When Barnabas walked into that church, he could see the grace of God. Somebody tell me, what color is grace? What color is it? Does it have a color? What shape is it? How tall is grace? How much does grace weigh? And yet, And and, and yet the Bible says he walked into this church and he saw the grace of God. What it means is he walked in. Grace is God working in our lives. Grace is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. When Barnabas walked into this brand new church, everywhere he looked, he saw God's grace changing the lives of these people. These were pagans. These were Gentiles. It's the world's first predominantly Gentile church. These aren't people that were raised with with the Bible in their laps. Uh, These these weren't second and third generation believers these were brand new people saved uh, out of paganism but they had embraced the message of Christ it had transformed their lives in such a way that when when Barnabas walked in he just saw God's grace moving in these people's lives And, and, and he saw it in the way they sang and he saw it in the way they prayed and he saw it in the way they listened and so forth their their testimony for Christ was visible No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place. He doesn't put it in some little private spot. He puts it on public display. We're not talking about showing off. Uh, We're we're not talking about that kind of of a worldly type Christianity. We're just talking about the fact that your relationship with God is so real that it's just all over you. I mean, it, it's seen in the way you talk. It's seen in the way you sing. It's seen in the way you behave. It's seen in the way you treat your parents. Uh, it's seen in the way you respond to, to, to conflict, when, when, uh, how you respond to trials and all of those things. That grace is visible to everybody around you. That's what was true in the church of Antioch. It was a visible grace. Look, if you would, to James I'm sorry, let's go back to Acts 14. We'll get to James in a moment. I'm trying to keep you going in order. Acts 14, where we were here this last Wednesday night, verse 8. Paul's on his first missionary journey in the city of Lystra. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak steadfastly beholding him, and look at this, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. So Paul sees this lame man. He's not the only one there. There's a crowd of people there, but here's a lame man. He's never walked. Both of his feet are crippled. And he's sitting there, and as Paul is preaching, the Bible says Paul was steadfastly beholding him. Paul just sort of zeroed in on him. And perceiving that he had faith to be healed. That means that when Paul looked at this guy, there was something visible about him that said, this guy wanted something from God. It, it could be seen. It could be seen. Turn, we'll, we'll come back to this thought in a moment. Turn now to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. James, one of the most practical books of the Bible. Written to believers that have been scattered after the persecution began in Jerusalem. And James is challenging these people to have a faith that is real, a faith that is vital. He says unto him in verse, he says unto this group of people, uh, look if you would, verse 14. What, the, what doth it profit, my brethren, though, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works, can faith save him. He's not saying we're saved by our works. He's talking about on a practical matter. You say, well, I believe the Bible, but you don't put it into practice in your life. What value does that have? Um, He gives the illustration. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? You're feeling bad for somebody doesn't make them less hungry. Uh, you're, you're, you're uh, saying something nice to them, doesn't fill their belly or put clothes on their back. He said, did I just go out? If we can turn the pulpit on or whatever's going on up there. Um, he, said, he said, that, that faith is in helping. There's no profit in that. Notice what he goes on to say, verse number 17. Even so faith that it hath not works is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith. And I have works. I have a feeling the devil doesn't want somebody to hear this particular sermon. I'm on down here. Thank you, fellas. Let's go to verse 18 again. A man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. You, you claim that you believe the Bible. You claim that you, you've, uh, you, you, yeah, I believe in God. That's what you claim, he said. But I, I've got a life that backs up what I say. Um, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. And I will show thee my faith by my works. Our lives are supposed to demonstrate that Christ lives within us, that we we truly do bear the light of the 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 world within our hearts. What does what does what do your works say about you? You have a faith that is visible the grace of God visible in your life. You see, we're all speaking by our works. We're all speaking by our attitudes. We're all speaking by our behavior. And what, whatever it is that we are doing is telling everybody else what we really are. Understand, Jesus said again in Luke chapter 11, verse 33, no man when he hath lighted a candle putteth it in a secret place putteth it in a secret place. Uh, Again, we consider those four men that dropped their friend down through the roof, their faith was visible. When Barnabas walked into the church at Antioch, the grace of God was visible on their lives. Going back to that man in Lystra that Paul saw, the Bible says he was steadfastly beholding that guy. And and as he watched him, there was something about him. Paul said, that man has faith to be healed. If, Paul, if the Apostle Paul was preaching here and he watched us, and he watched us during a sermon, what would our behavior say about us? Would it proclaim faith? Would it proclaim grace? Put your steel-toed shoes on. The day that I preached in chapel a couple weeks ago, it was dark in here. Uh, Brother Tim had some black lights up here in the center and so forth uh, and and so forth. And and other than than that and the glow sticks and so forth, which most of the kids put down, I think all of them were required to do that uh, and so forth. When I preached, it was my candle uh, or my little flashlight, that type of thing. Other than that, it was dark. Uh, our K-3 students were sitting across the front row in here. Uh, I could see them pretty well. I could see a, a couple of people on the second row, but beyond that, uh, other than you know a few lights here and there, I couldn't make out faces or anything like that. It was just dark uh, as I preached. It was during that darkness, apparently one of our teenagers, one of our high schoolers actually, took his hoodie, pulled the hood up, Pulled the drawstring tight and brought it down around his face and sat in his chair, put his head in his hand like this, and spent the rest of the sermon like that. He's lucky I didn't see it, because I would have been very happy to have spent the rest of my sermon standing beside his chair after I yanked his head up and the hood off, that is is the highest level of disrespect for the word of God, if nothing else. You see, if the apostle Paul had been preaching, he would not have looked over to this side where the teenagers were sitting that day and looked at that young man and said, man, I perceive that young man's got faith. He would have seen anything but that. Like I said, get your steel-toed boots on. Um, Can I just tell you, young people, that's not what we're raising you to be. That's the kind of behavior you find out of lost people, not people who profess Jesus Christ as their Savior. Can I get an amen from anybody on that one? That's not, that's not what your parents are sending you to Christian school for. That's not what our staff is working uh, day and night and sacrificing so that you can have a Christian school and youth activities and all that so that when the word of God comes, you can just down and sit down and show your disdain. You say, well, maybe he wasn't feeling well. After chapel and the lights came on, he was fine. I guess he got healed. Uh, maybe light has a, healing, has a healing factor to it. I don't know. Um, the light, if we're going to be what God wants us to be, our light has to be visible. We can't hide it. Can I say this church? Um, the light is not meant to be seen in this room, the light of the gospel. Almost every sermon that I preached, uh, on a Sunday morning, especially, I'll try to bring the salvation message into it. Brother Bain did that this morning in a a very uh, pointed and powerful and wonderful way. But the truth of the matter is most of the people we assume that are sitting here on a Sunday are saved. Now, I'm always thankful if lost people come in and hear the gospel and walk the aisle and and somebody's able to lead them to Christ. That's a victory and that's something to praise the Lord about. But can I tell you this? God never told the world to come to church and get saved. God told the church to go to the world and tell them how to get saved. If all we do is let our light shine in here and that's fine and we ought to do that amongst one another, we're not not being what God wants us to be. You see, we've already got lights in here. Look out the window. Everybody, look out the window. What do you see? Darkness. That's where they need the light. I, I fear that we've gotten content that our church preaches the gospel and all of that, and if people come in, we'll tell them how to get saved. We're missing it. We're, we're keeping the light in a secret place, a private place. We're supposed to get it out of these walls and get it out there to where the people are sitting in darkness and share the light of Christ with them. I need to hasten on. Some of you aren't enjoying this terribly well. When you look back at Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse 33 No man, when he hath lighted a candle, so the candle has to be lit, putteth it in a secret place. It has to be visible. Neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick. Third thing the Savior said here is the candle cannot be covered up. The candle cannot be covered up. We've all sung the little song as children hide it under a bushel. No. I have a garbage. Bushel. Is the candle lit? Is it helping anybody? If it was dark in here, would we have, have any light to read by or to get safely out of the room by? Yes or no? No, why? We've, we've covered up. The Savior said nobody does that. Nobody does that. Um, turn in your Bibles. We're going to look at a lot of scripture. First Timothy. Chapter six. First Timothy chapter six. And look, if you would please to verse number one, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. A servant would be the same thing today as an employee. How many have a job somewhere? You work for somebody. Okay, how many of you, uh, your, your boss, as far as you know, is unsaved? If you're on staff here, please don't raise your hand. I'll feel so bad about that. Okay, um, so, so Paul is writing to Timothy and, and giving Timothy instruction of what to teach people, uh, saying those that are servants, that have a job, that have a, have a master, as they're under the yoke, count their own masters worthy of all honor. You're not supposed to badmouth and back talk and all that kind of stuff, disobey whoever your boss or leader happens to be. And here's why that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. So, a saved person on the workplace who has a bad testimony is blaspheming the name of God in front of their unsaved boss and their unsaved co-workers. Turn to the book of Titus in chapter 2, verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women, he's talking about the older, the, the older amongst us, likewise that they be in behavior, As becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. Read the last part of verse 5 with me. Ready? That the word of God be not blasphemed. This is no longer out in the workplace. This is in the family setting, okay? Saying, you need to be careful how you live. And here he's talking to ladies. You need to be careful, moms. You need to be careful, wives. You need to be careful, ladies, uh, how you're behaving and, and how you conduct yourselves so that the word of God is not blasphemed, evil spoken of. You don't have to turn there, but in 2 Samuel, we have the terrible, tragic story of David committing adultery with Bathsheba. After he found out that she was expecting a child from that illicit union, David tried to cover that up, Uh, by getting uh, Uriah, her husband, to come home and be with his wife so he would think the child was his. Uriah had far more integrity at that moment than David did and refused to go into his wife while his fellow soldiers were were, uh, putting their lives at risk on the battlefield. When David saw that he wasn't going to get his way, he had Uriah murdered by army. He, he sent a message back, and Uriah carried the message to Joab on the battlefield. David said, I want you to reproach nigh to the city, uh, city wall, and when the, the, the enemy is shooting down off the wall, have everybody back up, but don't tell Uriah, let him there all by himself, that he perish. And it happened, and Uriah died. Um, Bathsheba grieved when she heard the news. David allowed enough time to go by to hopefully make things look legitimate. He married Bathsheba. She bore him, uh, David, a son. And uh, Bible scholars think that for about two years, David continued to live a lie. He's committed adultery. He is responsible for a man's death. In the eyes of the Lord, David killed him. David is going on... uh, He looked like the same old David. He looked like the same king. He looked like the same general. He talked the same talk, but uh, he had sinned against God. So God in 2 Samuel 12 sent the preacher by to see David. Nathan didn't have uh, a we are the world kind of sermon for David. He had a thou art the man sermon. Sometimes we need those, don't we? They're hard to, to sit under. But uh, David sat under it, and David, David uh, fell under deep conviction and got things right with God and asked the Lord to forgive him. And Nathan the prophet said, basically, the Lord's heard you, and you have found mercy with God. Aren't you glad for the mercy of God? David found mercy, but listen to what the prophet said to David in 2 Samuel twelve fourteen. how be it? because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. David, your bad behavior gave the enemies of God a chance to blaspheme. So you're supposed to be a Christian and you lived like that? You're supposed to be the man after God's own heart and you committed adultery? You're supposed to be saved and you did what? He said, David... I forgive you, but you need to understand your actions gave the enemies of the Lord an occasion to blaspheme. I have to deal with you so that they know that I'm a just God, that I am a holy God. Um, See, David uh, knew the Lord. David loved the Lord. I'm hoping my candle's still going. Ta-da, it still is. You can't tell it. But see, David covered up his testimony by his immorality by his own selfish living and the enemies of God didn't see the light of God, they just saw his sin. Turn if you would to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Again, this is why we kept the lights on so that we can look at the scriptures. Romans chapter 13, verse 12. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Jesus said in John chapter 3 and verse 19 that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. As much as light is a picture of God in the Bible, darkness is a picture of evil. The Bible's telling us in Romans chapter 13 and uh, verse number 12 that we are to cast off the works of darkness, that which is evil, let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering. That's a, an old English word that means shacking up, living immorally, and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh, to fulfill the lust thereof. As a believer, you and I are to cast off the works of darkness. Otherwise, the the light that we claim that is in us is all covered up. Romans 13, cast them off. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. We see a pattern in biblical terms. Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says in verse number 21, if so be that ye have heard him, that's Christ, been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to to the deceitful lust." So the old man is talking about my old sinful nature. I'm supposed to put off all of that behavior, all the bad language, all the bad attitude, all the bad everything. And the Bible says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Gives us an example of what he's talking about in verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, Speak every man truth with his neighbor. By the way, did you know that there are very few things that are more satanic than lying? Did you know that? John chapter eight and verse forty-four, Jesus talked to the Jewish leaders and said, "Ye are of your father the devil, and the will of your father ye you will do." And he, he he says that the devil was a liar. From the beginning, when you and I are given over to dishonesty, when you go home and tell your parents a lie, or you lie to their face about what you did or didn't do, where you went or where you didn't go, when you lie to your husband, or your wife about things, uh, when, we, when we tell lies, we are actually behaving satanically. We think that the, satanically means we're, you know, dancing in the woods around a fire and, and sacrificing to demons. No, lying is satanic. The Bible says, wherefore, putting away lying... Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So again, we see the idea of putting off the works of the old man, the deceitful lust, putting on that which is righteous and holy. Turn, if you would, to um, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, you doing okay? Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 8. But now ye also put off all these. Romans 13, cast off the works of darkness. Ephesians 5, put off the old man uh, and the deceitful lust. And now here we see put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Here's that same terminology, the same imagery. If we profess that we know Christ as Savior, we profess that the light of the world dwells within us, the Savior says, no man, when he hath lighted a candle, first of all, put it in a a secret or private place. It's intended to be seen, visible to everyone else around us. He also goes on to say, you don't put it under a bushel. You're not hiding it under the works of the flesh, the works that were associated with our past life before we knew Christ as Savior. Turn, if you would, to James chapter one. James chapter one. Verse number 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart, what's the next word? All filthiness. Dirty jokes. Double entendres. All those kind of things. Um, that's filthiness. Cursing, filthiness. We're supposed to lay aside all of that. There's that whole, that whole thing again. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity or abundance of naughtiness. That means misbehaving. And receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. So we're to put some things away from us. Uh, we're to put the works of the flesh away from us. It's stated in many ways in different places in the Bible. Otherwise, the light that is in us is totally hidden from view. And in its place, we're to put on the things of God. We'll cover this back up just for a moment. Turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. The Bible says here, gentlemen, I seem to have gone out again. The Bible says, wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, cast. Things away, put things off, and now laying aside. uh, Notice the word all malice, all guile, hypocrisies, envies, all evil speakings as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. I'm convinced that there are a lot of people that sit under the ministry of the word. Maybe they even read the Bible on their own, but they never grow because they haven't cast off the things in verse number one. You can't embrace the things of the world and the things of God at the same time. No man can serve two masters. So if our light is going to shine the way that it is supposed to, we got we to stop hiding it under a bushel. I used a garbage can on purpose because that's what the works of the flesh are. They're garbage. That's what gossip and slander and lying and cheating and, and dirty talk and disobedience to parents and defiance and all of those things are, that's, that's just garbage. That's spiritual garbage. And uh, we, we got to get that stuff out of our lives. There's a world in darkness out there that need the light that we profess that we have. But I fear in too many Christians' lives, it's, it's covered up by the works of the flesh This is not just a New Testament teaching. You don't have to turn there for sake of time. The prophet Ezekiel said, actually, it's the Lord through the prophet Ezekiel said in chapter 18 and verse 31, cast away from you all your transgressions whereby you have transgressed and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? We're supposed to cast some things away. You ought to be right now asking the Holy Spirit to show you, Lord, do I have any of that garbage in my life covering up my light? At home, does your family see the light of the Lord Jesus Christ or do they see the works of darkness? At work, do your co workers see the light of Christ, the new man? which is created after God in righteousness and true holiness, or do they see you and listen to you talking just like all the other unsaved people do? In your classroom, do your friends see Christ, or do they just see another carnal teenager, or do they actually see what looks like an unsaved teenager or child? We're supposed to cast those things away. We're supposed to not put it under a bushel. Otherwise... candles useless. There's one last thing and if you'll go back to Luke chapter 11 and then from there we're going to go to the book of Philippians for for a couple of verses. No man, verse 33, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place. Neither under a bushel, but here it is, but on a candlestick. A candlestick raises the, the, the lamp higher. He puts it on a candlestick. If it were dark in here, the higher this light goes up, actually, the, the broader it, it has a reach of. Uh, New England, actually, the whole East Coast is known for its lighthouses. Uh, we would go to the Outer Banks of North Carolina in Cape Hatteras is the Hatteras Lighthouse. How many have ever been there? Uh, we've driven down. it At times, you can go all the way up in there. Uh, a lighthouse is always very, very tall, or it's built on, on uh, uh, some type of a, a cliff or a hillside or something like that or it's out and even into the, the, to the water of the bay and they will build up rock and, and so on and so forth to get that light as high as it can be so that, that the light shines out for the ships so that they can be aware of maybe there are rocks and shoals in that region or maybe this is the path they want to follow to come in to, uh, to where the docks are and so forth. So they, they put the lighthouse and try to make it as tall as they possibly can. It is better for all the other ships that are trying to find safe harbor, especially in the time of a storm if it's held high. He puts it on a candle, He puts it on a candlestick. Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter one. And look, if you would please, to verse number 27. Paul says, only let your conversation, that's your entire lifestyle, not just your dialogue, but your doings. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Live in such a way that is becoming for the Savior that you profess that you know. That whether I come and see you or else be absent I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So he's encouraging these amazing believers at Philippi. Paul has bragged on them before in 2 Corinthians 8. Uh, he is telling the church at Corinth about these Christians in Macedonia and the depth of their faith and their love for the Lord and, and their, their abundance of joy and their giving as under the things of God. So Paul has the highest regard for the church that he's writing to, but he's encouraging them, make sure that your conversation is that which becomes a child of God. Look at chapter 2. Last scripture of the night, verse 12. Chapter 2 and verse number 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Can I just interject this here? If the only time you can be a good Christian is when your parents or your teacher or the pastor is watching over you, you're not a very good Christian. Paul said, You always obeyed in my presence. He said, but I'm gone and much more in my absence. You're behaving more like Christians when I'm not around you. And Paul is commending them once again. Again, go back to verse number 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying work for your salvation. You already have it. Let it be shown in the way that you live. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Boy, I wonder how many of us that knocks out of the rank. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, and here's why. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of Christ, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I've not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Paul said to these people, just live for Christ. Be everything you ought to be. Hold forth the word of Christ. You're shining as lights in a world of darkness. Don't be ashamed of him. Don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Young people, I don't care what everybody else in the youth group is doing. Don't you be ashamed of Christ. If they're telling off-color jokes and angry countenance turneth away more than a backbiting tongue, let them know that doesn't belong in a Christian youth group and walk away. But they're my best friend. They shouldn't be. Evil communications corrupt good manners. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be what? Look, if they want to tell off-color jokes, they want to be defiant, they want to be disrespectful, that is their choice. You make a choice too and say, that's not me. That's not me. I'm, I'm not talking about in, a, in, in an arrogant, prideful way. I'm just saying, take your stand. Don't be ashamed to take that stand. Well, well, well what, what if they get mad at me? Maybe they'll get right with God instead. But you don't worry about that. You do what is right. I don't care what everybody else is doing around you. There, there's not a kid in this room that doesn't know that lying is a sin, that swearing is a sin, that disrespect is a sin that disobedience is a sin. We could go on and on, there's not a kid in this room listening to me tonight, from the youngest to the oldest, that doesn't know what sin looks like, and if your friends, the crowd you're running around with, that's how they want to live, find a new crowd. Maybe you'll be the crowd. But somebody needs to hold the light up and let it shine for Christ. By the way, that goes for us moms and dads, grandparents, church leaders and members. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I fear that way too many of us are here. Saved, but we're holding on to the works of the flesh. We haven't cast them off. And we got a world out there that is as lost as can be and they need hope, but there's nobody showing the light the way they should to bring them safely home. Your co-workers need Christ. But if you're talking like they talk, living like they live, there's nobody pointing them to the Savior. Because you might might be saved. Even saved people can do some wrong things. You might be saved, but your light is so hidden under the bushel, under the garbage can of the works of darkness, that nobody sees it. If Barnabas were to walk in here tonight, could he see the grace of God? If the Apostle Paul was preaching this message and not I, would he he behold you steadfastly perceiving that you have faith? Is it visible? Or do we have it hidden there? And last but not least, hold it high. Do not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Lift it up high.